Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. When a COVID-19 vaccine is available, most of the world will have access to it thanks to a unique platform for international cooperation called the COVAX facility. The COVAX facility, which is also sometimes referred to as the COVAX pillar, is essentially a platform for pooled investments in the development, manufacture, and distribution of a COVID-19 vaccine. At time of recording, 172 countries have entered into an initial agreement with COVAX. This includes about 80 wealthier countries that would be able to purchase the vaccine on their own, and 92 lower-income countries which would not be able to self-finance the procurement of a vaccine. The goal of the COVAX facility is to cover 20% of the population of all participating countries by the end of 2021. This amounts to about 2 billion doses. COVAX is co-led by three entities, the World Health Organization, Gavi, the Global Vaccine Alliance, and the Coalition for Pandemic Preparedness Innovations. Of these organizations, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, administers COVAX. And on the line with me to explain how COVAX works is the Managing Director for Country Programs at Gavi, Tabani Maposa. We kick off discussing how the COVAX facility was formed before having a broader conversation about how it works and why global cooperation on the development and distribution of a vaccine is a far more effective way to end this pandemic than countries going it alone. This episode is part two of a series examining how the COVID-19 pandemic has given rise to new forms of international cooperation to accelerate the end of the pandemic. Part one, released last week, is my interview with the CEO of the Coalition for Pandemic Preparedness Innovations, or CEPI. This is an entity that has made early and ongoing investments in the development and manufacture of vaccines that will be made equitably available to countries that are participating in the COVAX facility. This includes some of the more promising vaccines that are already in advanced human trials. I'm very happy to bring this episode to you today. You know, COVAX is not a particularly well-known entity on the global scene. You know, it's very new, uh, but ultimately it will be profoundly impactful in ending this pandemic. The 172 countries that have so far agreed to participate in COVAX represent something like 70% of the world's population. So it is not a stretch to say that when this pandemic is over, it will have been brought to its end through global cooperation facilitated through COVAX. 
Uh, so if you are new to the podcast, I just want to say welcome. Please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com to peruse our robust archives of conversations about topical and thematic global issues that sometimes don't make headlines but should. Uh, you can also find part one of this series there or by subscribing to the podcast where you're listening to this episode. And I always love hearing from you. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com to reach out to me with whatever is on your mind. I look forward to your comments and questions. All right, now here is my conversation with Tabani Maposa, Managing Director for Country Programs at Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The COVAX pillar was uh, really born out of a conversation uh, or a coming together of the EU and WHO as part of a broader set of pillars that were called access to COVID uh, tools. And it was meant to create uh, a set of uh, tools uh, that were going to help uh, the world uh, to come up in a joint manner to respond to the COVID pandemic. And some of these pillars include like diagnostics and some include treatment. And one of them, the one that Gavi is the administrator of, is the COVAX pillar, the vaccine pillar. Is that right? That's correct. And uh Gavi is, uh, is administrating the COVAX pillar, but working very closely uh, with CEPI. In, in an ideal situation, in sort of the ideal uh, formulation of how the COVAX pillar would work, um, how would COVAX succeed in helping to bring the world a COVID vaccine? What does that success look like in its ideal form? Sure. Uh, that success, um, if I were to sum, sum it up, uh, it is about getting as many doses of vaccines uh, to as many countries uh, as is possible and as fast as is possible as well. So it's about scale. It's about speed. Uh, it's about... Uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I say it's scale in terms of number of countries, but scale in terms of the quantum of the number of people reached in the first instance when the vaccine is available. And so how does it work? Can you take, walk me through how the COVAX pillar works? Um, so the COVAX pillar uh, is really built uh, on uh, tenants of uh, demand and supply. And uh, the tenant of uh, risk-taking and guaranteeing. What happens is that uh, as many countries express uh, their interest to work with the COVAX pillar, 
uh, they give uh, first by just that expression of interest the the confidence and the risk taking uh, or the moving at risk uh, for manufacturers and other players uh, to assume that uh, there is a demand that can back their efforts of pursuing this effort. Uh, there is no point in pursuing an effort uh, only to come back and discover that the demand is not going to uh, to be there. So just the expression of interest uh, is, uh, uh, is, is, is important as a starting point uh, for the manufacturers uh, and other players uh, and other important stakeholders uh, to go forward at risk uh, to start putting resources and investing uh, in making sure that uh, they double down uh, in, uh, in the work of getting us uh, a, a vaccine. So, so step one is basically governments telling you formally, I suppose, in like a letter that, yes, we are interested in potentially procuring vaccines through the COVAX pillar uh, for our population. And you use that to, and, and, and you show that letter of intent to manufacturers, which gives them a degree of confidence. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Um, then uh, step two is obviously uh, one of uh, uh, on the supply side. Uh, which is uh, working with a number of uh, manufacturers and uh, trying uh, to make sure that uh, there are some advanced commitments uh, of what they could uh, provide uh, to the COVAX facility. So each of uh, the manufacturers that uh, is not one, uh, it's pursuing many. uh, And the reason for pursuing many manufacturers uh, is that uh, at this stage, we really don't know which vaccine is going to be successful. And uh, it's really about betting on a number of players uh, and working with them, but uh, getting their commitment to say, uh, as we work with them uh, and as we give them the the, the guarantee of the demand side, uh, they will also give us the guarantee or a a, a similar handshake uh, in terms of uh, some supply uh, to whatever is considered uh, a reasonable uh, quantity. Uh, so there is a game of numbers uh, on the supply side. Uh, and the game of numbers here is uh, really focusing on the number of uh, vaccine uh, players and manufacturers uh, that uh, we engage. Uh, and then the second tier is the number that they actually commit uh, at, uh, in advance as something that uh, they will be open to provide. Because the idea is that, you know, most vaccines will fail in trials. Uh, So you're betting on as many vaccines as vaccine research as possible. But simultaneously, you're also betting on uh, just the ability of vaccines to be manufactured at scale as well. That's correct. Um, Because the technology is also different uh, of, uh, of, of, of these vaccines. Uh, they uh, fall under a number of categories of uh, the the technology that uh, is being used to to actually uh, produce or identify the vaccine and the manufacturing capacity in terms of uh, uh, its uh, ability to stretch uh, is also uh, something that uh, is not clear at this stage. Uh, and we can go even further down uh, when we think about the delivery, the will be differences in the cold chain that may be required. And so we need to actually anticipate all those unknowns uh, that Mm. have to be thought about here. 
And of course, that takes a lot of money. Uh, and so far, you you in sort of your step by step process, what we're talking about seems to be handshake agreements and not actually money going to the Covax pillar. Uh, at what point in this in this process are you soliciting contributions from wealthier countries? Um, so even uh, with this handshake, um, the the there is two sets of countries. Um, there is uh, Gavi eligible countries uh, that uh, we are calling uh, the AMC at 92. Uh, these uh, are lower income countries uh, that could be supported through voluntary donations, uh, through a mechanism that uh, is part of uh, this broad uh, facility or which is a sister mechanism uh, called the COVAX Advanced Market Commitment. Uh, so this, this this is supported through donations, but there is also a set of countries that is self-financing that have agreed uh, to be part uh, of um, uh, of uh, of this group as well, uh, and uh, they would actually finance from their own public uh, finances, uh, and the how much uh, of that uh, gets to be defined as uh, the process evolves. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea is that many countries, wealthier countries around the world, um, can self-finance uh, the provision of vaccines to their to their populations, but lower-income countries don't have that capacity. So, you know, what is your investment case to wealthier countries who, you know, every day I read another article about a you know wealthier country securing a bilateral agreement with a vaccine manufacturer to purchase doses for their their population why are wealthier countries still interested in working with the covax pillar the truth is that um, the supply when we look uh, into 2021 the best production and with the best production uh, of vaccines will still be insufficient. The supply will be restricted uh, or not restricted uh, as, uh, as, 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 as deliberately restricted, but it will be constrained by the manufacturing capacity. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, there is no single uh, manufacturer who is uh, going to probably go on a bilateral uh, agreement. Uh, even the manufacturers, they do want to uh, to hedge themselves by dealing with more than uh, a single player uh, in uh, in this process. Uh, and uh, the truth is, uh, for the wealthier countries, if they were to try to do these agreements, uh, remember uh, at the beginning we agreed that uh, the the vaccines, a number of them will fail. Uh, that is a given. And if you are going to be entering into multiple bilateral investments, uh, it becomes extremely expensive to do it alone. Uh, But when you do it in a pooled mechanism, which is actually a broader set of choices, your chances of actually securing something in that space uh, is uh, is increased. But the bilateral agreements, yes, they are good. uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, 
comfort of saying you are making progress, but they don't guarantee you that uh, you get something. With the COVAX facility, while it doesn't guarantee you that you will get, uh, your chances and the probability of getting something uh, is much higher because of the diversity uh, of the number of players that, uh, that are in this uh, step. Uh, okay, so so basically, it's almost like an insurance policy. You, uh, you know, you're a government. You could be a, a government that makes bilateral investments in single, you know, trials or single uh, vaccines. Uh, but you could also simultaneously invest in this kind of pooled mechanism to hedge your your bets a little bit because this pooled mechanism, Covax, is supporting like a whole bunch of different vaccines and manufacturers. And so chances are that, you know, one or two of them probably will hit. That's it. Uh, That's it. Yeah. So how many um, vaccine trials is COVAX currently supporting? And on the manufacturer side, what does that support look like? Because, you know, once you have a vaccine, you know, creating billions of doses is a whole other logistical hurdle. Sure. Um, the number is uh, changing on a, on a so often basis, and I'm trying to uh, check it out here very quickly. Um, in terms of uh, the numbers that uh, are sitting in the COVAX uh, vaccine, vaccine facility. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Uh, probably a minimum of 14. Uh, and I say a minimum because uh, this number is, uh, is constantly evolving. Say one of those vaccines hits. So my understanding actually is the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is something that's been supported uh, through the COVAX pillar. Is that right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is in the world, one of the most advanced uh, vaccines right now in terms of the steps that it takes to bring it to market. So what did or what does the the COVAX support of that Oxford vaccine look like? How did that support manifest itself? Uh, at the moment, uh, with the AstraZeneca, uh, I think uh, we were probably the first uh, to sign uh, a, a, a commitment with them in terms of uh, an agreement with them in terms of uh, what they can, uh, what they commit to provide uh, to our set of countries. So they were the first in uh, of uh, of uh, those players. Uh, and uh, I think we have guaranteed them that uh, that supply uh, will be absorbed. And so it gives them uh, the confidence to begin expanding uh, and looking at their manufacturing capacity to say, can it respond to us and to others? And uh, I think uh, that's where the risk of uh, by how much uh, do they need to expand uh, their, their capacity uh, comes in. Uh, on the basis of uh, the underwriting that they perceive. Because of your support for them, they have a commitment to provide vaccines at a reasonable cost to Gavi to then go on to like the 92 uh, least developed countries that are part of the the Gavi Alliance? Uh, Yes. And uh, in in this particular situation, it's uh, for every member of the COVAX facility, uh, including the self-financing countries. There is uh, a formula uh, that uh, will actually allow distribution uh, to uh, to all parties uh, uh, that uh, that are part of the facility without prioritizing uh, the developing countries alone, 
uh, or the other countries alone, but it's a formula that takes into account that uh, the commitment uh, on the demand side that has been put forward uh, has come through as a result of uh, all these parties. And so what does that formula look like? So say this AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine is successful um, and it's able to be manufactured at scale. Um, how? What does the, the formula of distribution of the vaccine look like through uh, because of its partnership with, with COVAX? Uh, so the, 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 the COVAX facility uh, is, uh, is designed on the principle of equal allocation of doses. Uh, between all countries, regardless of income levels. So that's, I think, the principle that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the goal is to provide sufficient doses for 20% of the population of all participating countries. Yeah, so, so 20%, presumably that, that's for like healthcare workers and people who are particularly vulnerable? Yes. So that 20% uh, is for frontline health workers and uh, for the high-risk populations, uh, which, uh, as you have pointed out, will be the elderly and uh, any others who have uh, uh, pre-existing conditions. Should or if this Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine be a success, uh, you know, through the COVAX pillar participating countries like say the United Kingdom or like which is you know one of the self-financing countries or a poorer country like I don't know maybe you know Mali is is one of your 92 um, countries that uh, is is not able to self-finance they would also receive a 20 percent a, a, a dosage amount equivalent of 20 percent of their population that's correct uh, and uh, these doses will actually be delivered in trenches. Uh, as and when supplies uh, available, uh, you know. But uh, I think uh, uh, the first priority would be the frontline health workers, uh, and uh, the second would be the high-risk populations uh, or the high-risk groups. Uh, this is dependent on supply. But the other side that uh, I need to say, it's also dependent on country readiness, mm-hmm. uh, because. A number of countries are being, we are working with a number of countries to get them ready, uh, but not all countries will be ready at the same time. And, and uh, this includes, so say, for example, you need a cold chain. You need to set up the logistics of distribution via a cold chain in some countries, but some countries correct. just might not be ready. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So some countries may not be ready. Yeah. Um, and how many uh, self-financing countries have contributed funding so far to COVAX pillar? Um, so I would say that uh, not contributed funding, but uh, have uh, made their expressions of interest uh, more formally uh, at this stage. Um, yeah, so 81 countries uh, uh, will be financing from their own uh, budgets. Um, but you haven't actually received uh, con- contributions from them all no, of those uh, it's a commitment. Uh, it's an expression of interest uh, with, as a commitment. And now we've begun working on, uh, on binding agreements uh, with them. So h- how much do you need? Um, and, and, and like, would countries be expected to contribute whatever the equivalent of the cost of 20% of their population coverage would be? Uh, for these ones, uh, Yes, uh, I think uh, taking the at-risk investments and what have you, uh, 
they would they would need to be contributing for that amount at the minimum uh, because once we get started with the 20% obviously uh, for for Gavi we will continue uh, making sure that uh, we are working with uh, uh, the developing countries but we will be thinking that uh, we would have created at least the first best uh, of making sure that uh, the world is equally protected uh, or at least we have reduced uh, the risk of uh, uh, of uh, of uh, COVID-19 spreading any faster by actually putting the fire out uh, where it is most raging. I mean, one thing that makes, I think, my conversation with you right now so interesting to me, uh, and I'm you know speaking to you from the United States, is that you know what you are articulating to me is a really kind of complex mechanism for multilateral cooperation like vaccine multilateralism uh is is what it's sometimes called and uh you know it is set against a um another competing force which is you know vaccine nationalism in which you're having countries try to gobble up and secure doses with uh with you know through bilateral uh, agreements. And, you know, here in the United States, we are practicing vaccine nationalism, you know, almost every day. Uh, first of all, is, is the U.S., has the U.S. sent a letter of commitment to the COVAX pillar? Uh, no, I do not believe uh, the U.S. has. Mm-hmm. So presumably uh, that means that if this uh, Oxford AstraZeneca um, is, becomes made available, the U.S. won't receive it through that COVAX pillar unless it no, makes a it, bilateral it, it, deal. Yeah, it would would receive it uh, through bilateral deals. Mm -hmm. And and if a country has a bilateral deal with AstraZeneca, but is also part of the COVAX pillar, um, how does that work? Um, We we see that as complementary. You know, the the, the fact is uh, this country still has a responsibility uh, for... Uh, for its population, and we have not presented the COVAX pillar as a as a panacea or as a, the only solution. Uh, we think uh, complementarity of uh, solutions uh, in the market space uh, and good coordination between those. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the 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 EU, for instance, uh, has um, uh, has had uh, some uh, bilateral deals recently. But we are coordinating very closely with them, and uh, so it's it's making sure that uh, as they do that, uh, we 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 have a conversation uh, where it may present a, te- a tension point uh, of maybe, especially for Gavi, uh, uh, undercutting the ability of making sure that uh, the developing countries have equitable access as well. Uh, and is there like an argument to be made or what is the argument that vaccine multilateralism is a superior way to confront the coronavirus pandemic than, you know, a patchwork of vaccine nationalisms? Well, uh, the simple answer here is uh, that uh, no one wins this race until everyone wins the race. Uh the, the the fact is that uh, we are we are not safe unless everybody is safe, and it is important uh, to tackle this with a multilateral view and lens. Uh, 
you know, I think it is as simple as all that. Uh, it is important to, uh, of course, uh, do the best that you can do for your people. Uh, but at the same time, uh, think uh, that uh, when your neighbor is not uh, secure, uh, it does not uh, land well uh, for your economy uh, or for the safety of your uh, of your own people ultimately because not everybody is uh, going to accept uh, the uh, the vaccines. We are still having challenges that we will have to deal with uh, of uh, vaccine hesitancy in some countries, uh, which means that... Uh, you will still deal with uh, some of that coming through and raising uh, the immunity across uh, the bar, if we can help it, would be an important thing. Yeah, like I, I, you know, I can imagine a situation here in the United States a year or two from now where a good chunk of the population is somehow suspicious of an effective vaccine, vaccine, so a good chunk is not immune, and you know, by then air travel and and global commerce will will commence, and so you know, I would imagine that you could see a lot of imported cases here in the United States, which could have. Um, problematic health consequences for people, but also just, you know, economic consequences as well. If, you know, if, if things need to be shut down because there are these localized outbreaks. Yep. So, yeah, I would argue that uh, it is to uh, everybody's benefit uh, to, to collaborate and see this. Uh, it is a pandemic and uh, sitting right at the heart of the definition of a pandemic is that uh, it is uh, hitting all of us. Uh, and so if you start treating it as if it's an endemic uh, type of a disease that is only affecting your country, uh, you, you, you miss uh, the fact that uh, it's a global health issue and the threat will always come from without uh, and uh, co- cooperation is needed. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. This was absolutely fascinating. Like I said, it's just like a really unique and innovative example to me of multilateral cooperation to confront an urgent threat. And you are at the heart of that. So, so thank you uh, on behalf of humanity. Uh, but thank you again for speaking with me. No, thank you as well uh, for profiling this work. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one piece uh, to, to, to fight uh, the backlog the, the that we have before us. Uh, but uh, an important piece of that. All right. Thank you to Tabani. That was very helpful. And if you have not already done so, I recommend that you go back and listen to part one of this series, my interview with the CEO of CEPI, Richard Hatchett. I think together, uh, this conversation and that prior one does a really good job of explaining how international cooperation will end this pandemic by accelerating the development and distribution of a vaccine. And as I mentioned at the outset, please do feel free to reach out to me if there's anything on your mind, if you have suggestions of people you'd like me to interview or topics you'd like me to cover, or you just want to let me know what's on your mind. I'd love to hear from you. All right. Thank you to... Uh, And as I mentioned at the outset, please do feel free to reach out to me. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I love hearing from you. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.